Hey, Journey. Good to see you guys. My name's Chris. Good morning. Glad you're here. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling Beauty Will Save the World, where as we prepare for Easter Sunday and the resurrection, we're walking this path that takes us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So that's the little trail we're on right now. Last week we talked a little bit about this idea of Lent being the season of preparation leading us into Easter and the resurrection of new life. And so some of us are, are giving up things over Lent. I'm giving up control and that's going so-so. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a start and a process and I still got days left. So I'm going to keep trying. Uh, but before we dive in, I'd like you to do a little experiment with me. I, I need you to imagine the, the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Jesus. Like the, the first action, the, the first way that he is, the first mindset, the first picture. Like put that in your mind. The first thing of Jesus that, that comes to mind. You, you got that? I know it's actually like 10 o'clock, so I'll give you a little bit longer to... All right, so you've got that. Okay, so, so now you, you're going to hold on to that picture, and we're going to compare it here in a second, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about a time when Jesus acts in such a way that is actually hard for us to categorize, that probably goes in opposition to the view of Jesus that you just pulled to mind. So he, here's the encounter. Here's what happens. On this particular day, uh, on the cusp of a Jewish Passover celebration, Jesus rolls up into Jerusalem with his posse of disciples in tow, right? And, and they've got some big plans. And so they, they show up at the temple, the center of Jew, Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship where, where God is. They, they get there and what they see is all of these animals bandying about and people selling them. They see all these people with tables full of coins. And so Jesus takes mental note of this. He goes home, goes to bed, and comes back in the morning because he has a plan. He's going to show up on the scene like Kanye did when Taylor Swift was receiving that award and he's going to take the microphone and he's going to say, I have something to say about this, but unlike Kanye, Jesus is not going to let them finish, okay? So that's, that's like a year old pop culture reference. If you're not with me on that, Google it, all right? Be, because, as I mentioned, this scene is a little bit out of control. This is the temple, the place of worship. And what's happening is Jewish uh, Passover celebration is happening. And so at this time, people will be buying animals for sacrifice. They'll, they'll be paying the temple tax. And there's all these people who are trying to make money out of it. Right, they're, they're raising the price of a cow or whatever it might be, right? Like this dove is more expensive than a typical Jewish person, person would pay for a dove, that sort of thing. And so Jesus, he's sitting there realizing all of these people are like just money grubbers, right? They're, they're in it for a little extra dough and he has this thought bubble, right? And, he, and he's like, no way I'm going to let all of these people turn my temple into a Walmart super center, right? That's not going to happen. So what he does is he, he harnesses his inner Indiana Jones and he starts to fashion a whip. Jesus is building a whip, right? Which is probably, again, not the image you had when you first thought of Jesus as the whip-wielding Savior, right? And so he, he's got this whip and he starts to remove all of the cattle, 
from the temple, all of the sheep from the temple, all of the doves from the temple. And then he starts to take the coins and he scatters them all over the floor. Or like you got to imagine the scene because there's a lot of people there because they're all coming together for Passover celebration. And so he's, and then the animals go, the animals go, right? And then jingle coins everywhere. And then he starts to turn over the tables. He starts to flip the tables. So livestock everywhere scatters coins all over the floor and then Jesus acts like a DJ. You know, turns tables. Come on, let's go, right? Anyway, the point is, right, it's a pretty hectic scene, right? It's a hectic scene in the temple. And so we take that initial image we had of Jesus, the first thing that comes to mind, and my guess is it's hard for us to compare it to the whip-wielding, temple-clearing, table-turning Jesus. Like, like, how do those two images of Jesus mesh? How do they come together? What do we do with this righteously agitated but unabashedly human image of Jesus when he comes into the temple and wants to make these changes? And what do Jesus' actions in the temple speak to us today? Is there something that that's trying to communicate even now? Right, so the, the question is, of course, what's the connection between this throwdown temple encounter and the way we live our lives today? As we let those questions sink in and reflect on them a little bit, let's pray and then we'll dive in. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity for all of us to gather in this place together. I thank you that you would allow each one of us to be here. I pray as we often pray, God, that, that as we come in here in all different stages of life, all kinds of different things going on, that, that you would allow us to just set those aside for a moment so that we would hear from you clearly. Perhaps you want to speak into those things, God, and I pray that we would let you do that this morning. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would open up our eyes to see you in fresh new ways, God. And again, as I often pray, I ask that you would give me your words this morning, that I wouldn't get in the way of what you want to do, but that we would instead make much of you and glorify you in the process. We love you so much, and we do this all for you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in John 2, verse 13. That's where we're starting. So if you want to turn there, you can. If you want to follow along on the notes page, you can. And, and here's what you need to know, though, before we jump into that. Right? We're, we're reading the account in John 2 of Jesus clearing out the temple like I talked about. But right before Jesus clears out the temple in, in John 2, Jesus is actually in this place called Cana, and he's at a wedding, Right, and at this wedding, they run out of wine, so he takes this water and he turns it into, yeah, more wine, right? That's how Jesus rolls his first miracle. And, and so here he is coming out of Cana, where, where he had been at this wedding feast and turned water into wine, and now here he is in Jerusalem at the temple. So we have Jesus in Cana, where he makes wine, and then we have Jesus in the temple, where he makes a whip, Right, we have Jesus in Cana where he keeps the feast going 
And then we have Jesus in the temple where he stops the sacrifices. And then we have Jesus who kept sitting at the table in Cana, who now in the temple is Jesus turning over tables, right? And so all of a sudden, it's like this stark contrast of, of the miracle worker winemaking Jesus that we can be really excited about. And he meets this like prophetic human Jesus who, who has a mission and who, who's a little bit agitated yet righteously so. And now this is coming together in this encounter in John 2, starting in verse 13. So you can follow along if you'd like. Here's how it starts. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he said, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Right, and so again, here, here's what's going down. During the Jewish Passover celebration, Jews from all over would travel far and wide to come. Right, and they, would, they were all fairly, for the most part, poor. And so they, they gathered up as much money as they could to make this journey, knowing that this is how much it would take them to get there, and then they wanted to be able to eat and, and pay the, the price for their sacrifices or the temple tax. So it was a pretty tightly budgeted affair. And then when they get there, come to find out that on the outer courts of the temple, all of these people are set up charging more than they're worth for these sheep and these cattle and these doves, right? Because what else were they going to do? That was the only way they could get the sacrifices and they were taking advantage, essentially, of the religious system in place. And then on top of that, the, the money thing, right, all of these people who are exchanging currency, right, all, all, all regions of people show up with money from somewhere, wherever they're from, and they need to get it exchanged when they get there because in order to pay your temple tax, it had to be in a certain increment, certain coin, like all that had to happen, so they had to make an exchange. And so there was this little bit of some that those guys would make on top of, you know, just the exchange rate that they had to have. And they're all making more money than they should be, ramping up their fees. And so when we find out that that's happening, our, our question becomes like, who, who are those who are selling the livestock and the doves? And who are those people who are trying to make money off of the money exchange, right? And, and it's really simple, actually. It's people who have their own interests in mind rather than the interests of Jesus or rather than the interests of the church or the temple or the people of God. Augustine says it like this. He says, those are the people who have no desire for redemption and so they have everything for sale. Right? They're always trying to get something. They're always trying to make something happen because they have no need for the redemption that God offers. So by expelling the sheep and the cattle, by sending all of these people out, Jesus is demonstrating in a pretty profound way that the temple will not be a marketplace. But on top of that, and this is a, maybe a bit more crazy, he's actually saying the end to the sacrificial system is at hand. The end to the steps that you need to get to God's presence are at ends right now here I am so here's here's why Jesus is ticked and and it's pretty fair the merchants are taking advantage of a religious system 
The system is in place, and it's, it's in place for good reasons, but these merchants are taking advantage of the fact that these people need to have sacrifices and need to pay their tax, and so they're extorting that. But then even a little bit more scandalous than that, Jesus is ticked that there is even any system in place that keep people from the presence of God. He's going to change something completely because this is how they've done it all along. You've gotta follow these steps and there's this piece in Jesus that says it shouldn't even be this way. It should not be this hard to encounter the presence of God. Here's what happens next as all of this is happening in the temple, right? You can imagine the scene, verse 17. Then his disciples who are watching all of this happen, his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scripture. Passions for God's house will consume me. And immediately they're like, I can see the passion in Jesus right now. And I still believe that this, like Jesus on the scene and all of this passion speaks to Jesus' desire for justice. Jesus' desire for that which is wrong to be made right, that which is broken to be made whole. Jesus' goal is to essentially say, it shouldn't be this way and I wanna make it something new. Right? That's what this whole thing is about leading up to Easter. That's why we celebrate that because that's what Jesus is about, making something new. And so as that goes off in the disciples' heads as they're watching, here's how the interaction continues. Verse 18 but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? Right, like I can, you, can you just imagine the scene? Jesus has like a whip over his shoulder now and he's like sweating because he's been throwing tables and coins and animals are like, you know, mooing and bawling and flapping all over the place. And, and they're like, what are you doing? Jesus has his whip, you know, like he's like, I'm just hanging out. No, they're, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Right, like Jesus is just coming off performing a miracle. It's likely they didn't know about it, but it's also likely that they might have heard by now that Jesus turned water into wine. And so they're like, give us something to prove that this is who you are. And so Jesus, verse 19, all right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? That's what it says, verse 20. What? Right, what? They exclaimed. They're like, what are you talking about? They said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days, which, side note, this is hilarious, right, because we know Jesus to probably have been a carpenter. And so essentially, like, as a contractor, they're saying, okay, so somebody else gave us 46 years, and you're going to do it in three days? Or like everybody would sign up that contractor to build their home or their temple or whatever it is, right? They're like, no way you can transfer 46 years to three days. Like they, they, there's, we, we have an idea of what that means, those of us who have maybe spent even one day in a church. We have an idea of what Jesus means when he says in three days, I'll raise it up again, I'll rebuild it. But they would have had no idea what that would mean. Well, that's why verse 21 kind of explains it. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Right? Jesus is, is changing what's being talked about. When Jesus speaks of the temple of his body being destroyed, he's saying this is the sign of the authority that God has given me. And what's pretty crazy is when Jesus is referring to his body being the temple, 
Those are some of the very words that the Jews use against him at his trial before he's crucified. Right? They, they don't know what he's talking about, but they're going to wait and they're going to save it and they're going to spin it around when it's time to spin it around. And so this idea of destruction is front and center. Like this is the key point. Who's going to destroy the temple? Because now Jesus is saying it's not the building that's the temple. He's saying I'm the temple. And who's going to destroy the temple? We, we know what happens, right, when Jesus is crucified. People, yet it's not people necessarily who destroy the temple because the thing about Jesus is that Jesus goes willingly to the cross. Jesus is willingly destroyed. Jesus does it because he's letting them destroy the temple so that three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it might be raised to do new life. He is resurrected. He's saying, I'm going to let you do that so that you can understand where the presence of God resides and how powerful that presence of God really is. And so here's what happens, kind of sums up the story. 22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Right, even for his disciples, even for his followers, all up until the point in which he was resurrected, they had no idea what he was talking about. Why did he clear out the temple? What is he talking about with his body? They don't get it. Right, but as such is the way with Jesus all of the time. Jesus goes first. He says, I'm going to show you what I mean. I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to show you how to get where you need to be. And he's saying the same power that raised me from the dead now becomes the same power that lives in you. Right, early or later in John, Jesus actually says that. He says, I'm gonna have to leave you guys. Like he's talking to his followers. I'm gonna have to leave and I'm gonna leave you with a gift and gifts are always good things, right? Like, I'm going to leave you with this gift, and the gift is my spirit, and that's going to be what you need. And so he's transferring again from the temple of a building, from the temple that is his body to the temple that is us, and God's presence moves through all of them. And so just like the disciples who wrestled with this picture of Jesus clearing out the temple and not knowing what it means that the temple would be destroyed and raised in three days, the question is for us as well, do we understand and believe is that something that we want to be a part of? And I think in order to answer that, we have to then, you know, decide what does that say to us? What does that mean for us? Because here's the thing about Jesus in the temple. The story's crazy, right? It's such a fun thing to imagine Jesus doing. I mean, like just watching it would be crazy, but it's not how we usually think of Jesus, so the thing is this, Jesus is willing to make this huge demonstration, right, this huge spectacle for the sake of renewing the purpose of the temple, right? He's willing to make a huge spectacle for the sake of renewing our church or renewing our families or your dinner table or your relationship with your kids or your friendships. He's willing to make a big spectacle over and over again for the sake of renewing our lives so that we can relate to God more directly so there aren't a bunch of religious steps that we have to follow in order to experience God himself. And anything that we do then that makes it harder for people to experience grace or forgiveness or hope 
Those are the things that will have to be turned over by Jesus. Right? Jesus is willing to do just that. He's willing to flip over those things that keep us from experiencing who he really is. And not only is that the super spiritual context, but it's also this crazy human picture of who Jesus is, of the passion that burns within him, because we can relate to that. And I think here's the thing that brings it all home, for me anyway. Right, it all starts with a building, the temple, where the presence of God resides, where, where you had to follow some steps and that, that's where you would experience God to the fullest. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not like that. And so he shows up on the scene and he says, my body is actually the temple. That's where the presence of God resides. And, and me, I am the temple. And Jesus, again, who shows us the way, right? He goes to the cross and he's crucified and he's raised from the dead by the power of the spirit. And then he says, here I give you my spirit because now you, my followers, you're the temple. And you don't have to go anywhere or do anything to experience the presence of God because the presence of God resides within you. You are now the temple. Our bodies are the temple. Those of us who belong to Jesus, we are the temple. And within us dwells the Holy Spirit, God's presence, God with us. And so then if we are the temple, the question goes one step further, right? Are there tables in our lives that need to be turned over in our own temple that are keeping us from experiencing the true presence of God? What are the tables that are getting in the way of us and, and following Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What, what are those things? Will we let Jesus turn those tables over? The way I think of it is that Jesus is always asking us this question. Like this is, this is what he was all about. His question to us over and over again is, will you let me heal you? Like that, that's what he's offering us over and over again. Right? Will you let me heal you? Will you let me flip the tables? Will you let me make you whole? Will you let me do that? And I, I, I know this is silly. I can't get past the turntables parallel, right? So I keep thinking of DJ, JC, right? DJ Jesus on the turntables, turning over tables and remixing our lives, right? Like making it something new and something beautiful that there's this new humanity that's possible when we give that to Jesus, when we let him make the music, so to speak. That's the question, right? Because th this is possible, this new humanity, this, this place in which we experience God to the fullest is possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But our response to the question that Jesus is always asking, will you let me heal you, is on what all of this hinges. And so as that question kind of settles on you, you can go ahead and set some stuff aside or whatever you've got going on. And I wanna give you some space to reflect on that. And, and I know what life is like because we're all living crazy lives. So maybe this is really sometimes the only time in your life when you stop and you slow down and you're still and you're quiet enough to listen to God or to talk to God. And I wanna give you the time to do that. Maybe what you can be asking him is, are there tables in my life that need to be turned over? Are there tables in my life that are keeping me from experiencing you to the fullest? Maybe you can ask to have those tables wiped out. Maybe you can respond to the question, 
will you let me heal you? Whatever it is, be still before God, be quiet before him, talk to him. Take a few moments and then I'll close us. continue to take that time, maybe just let me speak over the top of us for a moment. And I want to just acknowledge that I know there's probably some of us here who who haven't taken Jesus up on this offer of new life, this offer to follow him. And maybe today's the day when you're ready to do that. Maybe you're seeing Jesus in a different light and there are in fact tables that need to be turned over in your life and Jesus is coming, tumbling in to your heart right now and you're not sure what to do with that. Maybe it's heavy, maybe it's gentle, maybe it's hard. But maybe for the first time you're you're choosing to acknowledge that Jesus did in fact die on the cross to make a way for you to have a relationship with him. And that three days later he was raised from the dead and that same power that raised him from the dead can live within you as well. And if that's where you're at in your life today, then you could just pray with me a prayer in the quiet of your own heart that would go something like this. God, I thank you that you are a God who loves me. I thank you that you love me enough to let me figure it out, to to find a way. But I also thank you that you love me enough to never stop pursuing me. And today, God, as you're turning over the tables of my life, I ask you to forgive me for all the times I've tried to do it on my own, for all the times I've wandered away, for all of my sin. Would you forgive me and make me new today? Would you make me whole today by the power of your son, Jesus? I thank you for his death on the cross and I praise you for his resurrection. And I ask that you would just take control of my life and from this day forward that I would choose to follow you. And if you prayed that prayer, there's really not many things that are, are more important or more powerful than the, the moment we choose to follow Jesus. And so it's such a big deal to us that we ask you to share that with us, not to embarrass you, but so that we could celebrate and pray for you in this moment. And so if that was you, would you just be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me? And that'd be you saying, yeah, today I see you. I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Yeah, I see you over there too. Yeah. I see you.
want to miss anybody this morning. God, we praise you for those who've chosen to follow you today. You are a merciful, loving God, and we praise you so much. We thank you for them. God, we thank you that you're a God, again, as we've, we've prayed and talked about over again, who loves us as we are. But we also thank you that you're a God who will intervene into our lives and turn over tables because you love us so much that you don't want us to stay this way. That just as Josh read to us, you're a God who longs to change and transform and make us more like you. And so, God, sometimes those are small steps, I know. But would you give us the courage for those little acts of obedience along the way? God, we love you so much. We love that you sent your son to show us what it looks like to live a life committed to you. May we love as big as Jesus loves. And would it all be so that you would be made known. We love you and we pray all of these things in your name.